Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, as we come before you uh, to hear from you through your word, may you, by your spirit, be working in each and every one of us. Lord, help us to understand your word, what you're teaching us about you, about us, about our world, about your son, and how we live for you in this world. Lord, please convict us, challenge us, encourage us, whatever times we may be in this morning, to seek you and to live for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, a couple of weeks ago, the preacher, the writer of this book declares, there is nothing new under the sun. Isn't it ironic that 3,000 years later, the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 were uh, that when they were spoken, they were penned, they were etched into holy scriptures. 3,000 years later, these words were put into a song. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. A time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. Made famous, uh, Hitting number one, even on the US Billboard charts in 1965, before most of us were born. Almost the exact words from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Proving indeed his words here that nothing is new under the sun. And these words, they resonate with us because they speak to us about what we know, the reality of life, time, Seasons, time keeps on going, seasons change. And despite all that we as humans do, no one can stop the torrents of time. No one can control the seasons. Time ticks away. It keeps on going. Seasons come and go. Well, as we continue our series in Ecclesiastes, We're now in the body of the preacher's argument, his investigation into life under the sun and his search for meaning and satisfaction. We've seen so far wisdom, toil or work. We've also touched on pleasures, death, and we'll see the preacher return to these themes all through his investigation. But today we're looking at the topic of time. Time under the sun. Time in this here and now world. And with the exception of the introduction, this passage, this chapter here, is probably the best known part of Ecclesiastes. It's the most quoted, the most preached on, even used in secular wisdom. So today we're going to investigate it, not just as an isolated passage, but in its intended context of the preacher's whole speech. And we're going to see what this teaches us about God, about humanity, and about how we are to live for Jesus today. And we're going to do this today by exploring the poem in verse 1 to 8, then looking at the preacher's conclusions in verse 9 to 15, and using those conclusions to shape our response to God today as we think about time under the sun. 
Well, if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Well, if you look at your life, if you think about it, there's moments, times where life just doesn't make sense. Maybe it's a health issue that came out of nowhere. Maybe it's an unexplainable incident, an accident, or even a series of events. Well, the preacher touches onto this reality, these moments and these thinkings and the feelings in the midst of these times. But here, the preacher, I think, is doing more than outlining reality. He's bringing this up to talk about time under the sun, to critique time, using basic examples of life to show us that even time under the sun is vanity and meaningless. Before we have a look at this section, a couple of things to note. First, we know that the preacher changes from chapter 2 and 3 to use poetry as a device. Second thing, he changes his topic to focus on time, a word that's used 30 times in this, these 15 verses. And third, we see the preacher use common images from nature and life, very similar to chapter 1, the cycles of nature and life, and whatever happens, happens again sort of idea. Verse 2 to 4, a pretty straightforward. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what, has been, what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, time to mourn and a time to dance. Different times, different seasons means that there's different ways to act. And all these images we can relate with well. And note that all of these images are opposites. It's like a pendulum swinging from one end to another. Verse 5 is a trickier one. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. It's most likely talking here about a time of war. Back in those days, they'd throw stones onto the grain fields to make them useless so people couldn't use them to grow crops. And they'd gather stones together to make the fields useful again for farming uh, or cultivating. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing that's obviously talking about COVID and social distancing. But probably, again, it's talking about a context of war. You don't embrace your enemy uh, in a time of war, but in a time of peace, you can embrace your enemy. Verse 6 to 8, again, are pretty straightforward. A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's a beautiful writing, a beautiful poem giving us a picture of times and seasons. And often these verses, they're quoted with an application that we all need to be wise, know the season we're in, and we're to act accordingly. And that makes a lot of good sense. But let's just think about this application for a moment. 
because the passage never says explicitly here about doing this. It doesn't even encourage it. It's just laying out the facts of time. And this sort of application that we need to be wise and know the season we're in, uh, it leaves out the fact that we're reading not just some wisdom or self-help manual, we're reading the Bible. And we're supposed to look at what this passage says about God, our world, and how we're to live for God. So what does this poem actually teach us? Well, as we read it, it's probably less of a happy read than we think, because we see here in these words that time is an endless cycle again. It's like a pendulum that keeps on swinging one season, one time to another. And this poem shows us that we're actually not in control of time. We're dancing to a tune that's not of our own making, and the seasons actually dictate our actions. You see, that's what the preacher wants us to learn about time under the sun. This beautiful critique of time shows that we're all, in a sense, controlled by the times. Time is in the hands of someone else. And this is where the preacher goes as he explains the poem for us and gives us his conclusions in verse 9 to 15. I've summarized them into three conclusions. And the first is in verse 9 and 10. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. You see, the first conclusion is this. Time is vanity. It's a busy and endless cycle. When I was in a heightened state of awareness growing up, I'd think to myself, oh, there's one second that I'll never get back. Oh, there's one hour that I'll never get back. Oh, there's a day that I'll never get back. Maybe many of us look back to the last two years. There's two years that I will never get back. Well, the preacher asks a familiar question here. What gain has the worker from his toil? This time, thinking about toil uh, and work and labor in reference to time well spent, all the seasons, all the times. And the answer here, again, is nothing. He's saying that if you're trying to find meaning in time, being in control of the times and seasons, that's a dead end. There's no profit there. It's just all an endless circling. Because times and seasons, they're not permanent. If anything, it shows us that we're not in control. We're servants of the times and the seasons. They dictate how we act, not the other way around. And we're to look, instead of at the times and seasons, to the master, to the Lord of the times and the seasons, the one who keeps us busy with the times. And it's God. You see, time isn't just accidental and arbitrary. It's held firmly in the hands of a sovereign and loving God. He controls the times. He sets the times. And God is the one that gives the business that humanity is busy with. 
not in a fatalistic or predetermined way, but in his mysterious and divine sovereignty, allowing free will, yet being fully in control. And this moves us to our second conclusion. God sets the times. Have a look at verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. The word here for beautiful is sometimes translated as suitable, giving a sense of appropriateness. It makes sense. And as a result, beautiful in that way, like a perfect match. And God is doing this, setting the times and setting them beautifully, appropriately, suitably, perfectly. We learn a lot from hindsight, don't we? When my blood pressure situation happened last year, I was in hospital, I was in a bad place, I was asking questions like, why me? Why now? How is this a good thing? And I'm sure you've had situations where you've asked those sorts of questions too. But knowing that God is the one who sets the times and sets them beautifully, appropriately, suitably and perfectly, changes our approach to our times and seasons dramatically. You see, God sets the times, and he also sets in us a yearning for time in our hearts too. Have a read at the rest of verse 11. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You see, the God of the times, he's put a longing, a craving, a desire for eternity, for beginning and end into each of our hearts. It's inbuilt into our nature to look for what lasts forever. But as often with humanity, We're all narrow-sided creatures. We're so caught up in the here and now, time under the sun, that we can't comprehend the whole picture of time and eternity. Commentator Derek Kidner writes of this. We are like the desperately nearsighted, inching their way along some great tapestry or fresco in the attempt to take it in. We see enough to recognize something of its quality, but the grand design escapes us, for we can never stand back far enough to view it as its creator does, whole and entire, from beginning to end. You see, we don't set the times. We can't even comprehend the times and seasons. We struggle to even lift our gaze beyond the here and now to eternity because it's God. It's God who sets the times, not us. We sometimes think we're in control, but all the time it's held firmly in God's hands. So now after outlining that finding meaning in time is vanity and that God is the one who sets the times, the preacher, he moves on to his final conclusion a twofold challenge. And we know this with the repeated words of I perceived or I know in verse 12 and verse 14. And both of these comments and statements have a practical outworking for us. 
verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. His first challenge, his first conclusion, enjoy God's gifts. It's similar to last week and what Tim mentioned, be joyful, do good, eat, drink, and toil. Understanding here that it's God who sets the times, and these are all God's gifts to man. And the second challenge here, and the more emphasized one, is in verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, for nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. You see, the author emphasizes again that God sets the times is in his hands. But here, the preacher, he finally reveals his conclusion on time. Why does God set the times? What's the purpose of times and seasons? And it's this, so that people will fear before him, so that people would revere God, that they would respect and honor God, so people would stand in awe of God. You see, a careful and thorough investigation of time, it makes us aware of our helplessness. Remember the poem, we can't control the times. And this in turn makes us aware of our dependence on God. We don't even know the times, but God does. He's the one who sets the times. And this in turn moves us towards fearing God standing in awe before God, to acknowledge him, to look to him, the one who holds time and all things in his hands. Well, as we think about these conclusions, let's see what God's word says as a whole about them and what it means for us today as we consider Ecclesiastes 3. And I believe that there are three ways which respond to this passage. First, stand in awe of the God who sets the times. You see, this is really the challenge the preacher is giving here in this chapter. He's most likely speaking uh, to a wealthy and affluent group of people, busy buying and selling, making and losing money, knowing the good and the bad times, having a history of war and peace, thinking that they were in control of the times and most likely his readers and hearers were ignoring God or not giving God the attention due to him. And God, he speaks through the preacher to us today too, to us in a society where we have it all. We're busy with our time. We know very well that we have no control of the times but we try so hard, don't we, to be in control of the times. God sets the times. And instead of fighting the times, 
bemoaning the times or trying to gain control of the times. We're to stand in awe. Stand in awe of the God who sets the times. To fear him, to revere him, to make much of him. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this God who sets the times. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Paul in Colossians, he points us to the God made visible, the God who made time, who holds time in his hands. He says, Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for him by all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and, he, and in him all things hold together. Stand in awe of the God who sets and holds the times. And today, that also looks like standing in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about this point this morning, I wonder if we as humans, even we as followers of Jesus, we spend too much time fighting the times, bemoaning the times, or trying to control the times. We, like, we let time be our Lord and Master. Just like the poem, we're stuck in the endless cycle of times and seasons. We're controlled by the times and seasons so much that we forget to stand in awe of the one who sets the times. God, the one who sits above the sun and beyond the here and now. The Lord Jesus Christ, who in the fullness of time came upon this earth, died for our sins, and rose into life forever. Standing in awe of God looks like gazing at God until your heart sings, your heart and mind being captured by God's greatness and goodness, acknowledging God with all your faculties, your whole being, mind, heart, body, thoughts, affections, and actions. And standing in awe of God, it's not a private thing. It's not an internal thing. It overflows into all aspects of your life. It touches all of those around you, and it influences how you fellowship with other believers. I wonder in our modern evangelical distancing from Pentecostalism, We've lost our awe of God. We lack in that all-in reverential fear and amazement and wonder of God. So don't be mastered by the times. Instead, look to God and stand in awe of him.
since we're doing the book giveaway today. Uh, the Explore Devotional is a great tool to help you hear from God and in response of that to stand in awe of Him. And if you're up for a bigger read, Truth on Fire by Adam Ramsey. It's about gazing at God until your heart sings, being reminded deeply of God's greatness and goodness. Our first response this morning, to stand in awe of the God who sets the times. Second response, if God indeed does set the times and God has set eternity on the hearts of humanity, then we ought to let the times push our gaze to eternity. Verse 11 reveals that God has put eternity in our hearts. Humanity, we yearn for, we long for eternity. We know that there's more to life than this, that there's an eternity-sized hole in our hearts. So as we consider the times, the seasons, the circumstances that you're in now, let those times push your gaze upward to eternity. That there's life beyond the here and now. And that life, eternal life, we know is made possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. As John 3.16 famously says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, eternity is made possible in Jesus. Jesus fills that eternity-sized hole in our hearts that the preacher here talks about. He makes whole that longing, that yearning for eternity that we all have. And Jesus does this just as we sung before, as he died for our sin on the cross, making us righteous, perfect, whole before the God of the universe. Jesus makes us whole. He fills the eternity-sized hole in our hearts. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, when you're aware of the times, the seasons, the situations you may be in, look upwards. Gaze up towards time above the sun. Look to eternity and be reminded afresh that as you believe in Jesus, no matter what the times you're in, you're assured that he has won for you eternal life. Maybe this morning you're not a follower of Jesus here. Well, know that the longing, the yearning for more to life for eternity, it's a longing that's been given by God. It's a longing that points to and is fulfilled in Jesus that as you believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, he satisfies that longing for eternity. He allows you to experience eternal life. Let the times push our gaze to eternity, knowing that believing in Jesus is the key to eternal life. Our third and final response this morning, use your time to be joyful and to do good. 
This is the second challenge uh, from the preacher here in this chapter. And not in that worldly, you only live once, seize the day sort of manner. But as we read the Bible as a whole, we understand being joyful and doing good in a framework of fear and awe of God in living for Jesus, living in response to the God who sets the times and sets eternity in our hearts that's ultimately satisfied in Jesus. You see, for all of us this morning, we live between the cross and the new creation. And it's more than possible for us to live in these times grudgingly, without joy, gritting our teeth, waiting for the gloom to end and Jesus to come again, and to live unproductively, not doing bad, but not doing good either, not loving others, not living all in for Jesus. So as you live for Jesus, as you live in response to the God who sets the times, I think it's appropriate to reflect on how you use your time, to reflect and ask yourself, what are you doing with your time? Are you doing good? Good in the sense of God-honouring, Jesus-centred, Holy Spirit-infused, kingdom-advancing things. Are you doing good with your time? And where's your heart as you go about life? Is it joyfulness? Or is it something else like gloominess? Woe is me, stoicness. James writes about different times and seasons in his letter. And he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You see, he calls his readers to joyfulness as you live for our Lord and Saviour, knowing that it's God who sets the times. He's in control, and he's using the times and seasons for his purposes and for his glory. Use your time to be joyful and do good. Well, as we finish our time this morning, uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he continues here his exploration on life and meaning. And what we see today is that finding meaning in time under the sun, it results in vanity. That is God. He's the one who sets the times. And he uses the times to cause people, to cause us, to cause you and me to stand in awe of him. And God also uses the times to cause us to gaze upward at eternity, to look to his son Jesus, who paves the way to eternal life. And in light of this, to be joyful and to do good in response to our sovereign and merciful God. Well, let's pray to this end. Father God, as we consider time under the sun, the times, the seasons, the ebbs and flows of life, Lord, help us to see our circumstances in life 
and cast our gaze to you. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted or narrow-sighted that we forget you, the sovereign and merciful God. Cause us, Lord, to stand in awe of you, the one who is time in his hands, to be reminded afresh of eternity that's made possible only in Jesus, and to live in light of you, knowing that you've got the future assured for us in Jesus, and in response to this, to live joyfully and do good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.